Hello, everybody. This is uh, the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Vern Value. And I'm Val Hughes. Get it. Uh, and we'd like to invite you to read more about us at our website, www.thevalueguys.com. Please do, absolutely. Uh, where you'll learn that we're uh, undercover Wall Street professionals. Secret, secret. Who have taken on secret identities so that we can bring you the lowdown on Value Line's weekly stock picks. Uh, this week we're going to be looking at the Value Line Investment Survey data today, May 19th. And uh, as always, we want to remind you that this is uh, for entertainment purposes only. Uh, you know, basically, we're just sharing with you what we like to do. Just sharing a little what uh, we already do. But you, you, should be, you should recognize that we might own uh, any of the stocks that we talk about. And uh, I generally we, own them. Uh, while we don't take any responsibility for anything that might happen based on anything you might choose to do with any of these stocks, uh, you know, we are trying to we are trying to share with you some of our insight. We're trying job very hard to uh, pick these stocks. To pick uh, winners. Right. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Val. Thank you. Pick uh, winners. Well said. Well said. <laughs> so uh, in a little bit, I'm going to uh, I'm going to talk about the uh, recreation industry and the consumer and whether that makes any sense uh, given the current environment. Does it? We'll talk about names like Disney and Harley-Davidson. But uh, first, we're going to lead off this week with uh, my, uh, my partner in subterfuge, Val. Hughes. Thank you very much, Vern. Uh, I'm excited to be here today, as Sucker I am every week. Huge. That's quite a word. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, we're professionals. We do this uh, for a living. Uh, but during the week when we're being paid, we're much better at it. So right now we're just kind of kicking around. I'm looking at Value Line this week. And uh, they've done the recreation industry, the entertainment industry, hotel gaming, publishing. There's a lot, actually, to choose from here for a value guy. Newspapers are under siege. Advertising. Will anyone ever advertise again? It was a tough week on Wall Street. Uh, if you're watching, you know, I think the NASDAQ's down eight days in a row. The S&P 500's down. Uh, the Fed is raising rates. Inflation concerns. It was a train wreck out there. And, um, you know, my portfolio was down a couple percent this week. So it's uh, actually, uh, you know, maybe contrary to what you would think, it's actually a good time to be looking for uh, some good stocks. There's a lot of negative psychology in the market about, uh, you know, uh, nuclear terror and uh, gold prices and various things. <laughs> well, I hear things. that a lot, nuclear well, terror. Well, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of concerns in the market. And, uh, you know, it is a time to be looking around. Interest rates are going up, so bonds are competing a little bit more with stocks. But, you know, we look for stocks with good yields, good earnings yields, look at a company as if we were going to buy the whole company, a lot like a private equity approach. And uh, based on the yield coming off that uh, hypothetical price for all the stock and the debt, we can get a sense of what we'd earn on that. And there's more private equity money in the market than ever before, so the idea that these things have real value to real buyers is, you know, a much better anchor to evaluation approach than maybe it was 20 years ago. Uh, but uh, anyway, let's dig into it. My first stop here is just the publishing industry. It's an industry under siege. Paper costs are up a lot. Energy is about, uh, I think, 20% or 25% of the cost of paper. And... Uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, the people aren't reading anymore. So that's a bad combination. Costs going up, revenues going down. And so I'd say the commodity guys in here, you know, you got to stay away from. Uh, anyone under the age of 25 I don't think really knows how to find a, a, an actual physical piece of paper to read. But uh, there's a couple things in here with franchises. We want to take a look at them. My first one is probably the most, uh, one of the more risky stocks I'll talk about. It's Deluxe Corp, Deluxe Check, ticker DLX. Value line rates this five. It's on page 1894 
Uh, the stock's been going straight down for two years, so if that's the kind of thing that bothers you, uh, then uh, move along. I would but, explain why Bounty Line doesn't like well, it. Well, they don't like it. Well, their core business of checks has been declining for quite a long time, uh, but uh, that's only 15% of their business now. A few years ago, they bought a little company called New England Business Services, which actually I used to cover on, uh, on the street, and that's now half their business, and that was an old forms business. So back, you know, 50 years ago, you ran a little car repair store or whatever. Your business is built around forms. They did the forms. It's been a tough migration path to computers from paper forms. Still a lot of paper being sold, but of course you're losing those customers, and when a customer makes a shift from paper to something else, it means they're going to evaluate more than just you, and so you end up losing a lot of those people. Uh, but uh, you know they're slowly migrating uh, people to the internet and to the to, to the computer. You know the idea that you won't have to do that is gone. So uh, people are aging. So this whole thing is happening slowly, and uh, I think that uh, the combination here is is you know got a decent chance to survive. Here's a couple of interesting things. First, it's yielding seven percent. That cash flow is well covered. They're generating five bucks a share in cash flow, paying a buck sixty to pay that dividend. So. Uh, that's decently covered. It's trading at half the market multiple. Uh, they have a fair amount of debt, and when I say what is a, that five times cash well, flow? it's five times uh, cash flow. Now they use a little bit of that cash flow for capex, but not a lot of it. Just about twenty percent of it. Now some, you know, we don't. I don't like debt. I like clean balance sheets. So. I'm a little surprised to find myself liking this because uh, their debt to uh, capital ratio is, uh, I'm sorry to say, uh, 100%. They have only debt, no equity. But uh, the good thing is, is that their return on capital right now is, uh, which is all debt, sadly, but it's running around 20%. The cost of debt, uh, I don't care who you are, you know, in this environment, even your junk bond, you know, it's 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 10% or so, and it looks like they're interest expense relative to their long-term debt is actually quite a bit less than that, but their return on capital would, would cover a debt-filled balance sheet. And of course, it gives you the opportunity to do a, an equity offering with the use of proceeds being debt pay down, which investors often like because debt reduction and interest savings is such a certain investment versus, hey, we're going to you know put that money into my uh, great yeah, idea. to sell equity when your business is in well, you know, I, I'll give you that, but if use of proceeds is debt pay down, then you can go through and calculate a certain improvement in earnings. Yeah, and a debt-free right, company leverage. here, uh, you know, here's some other interesting things. They got a 22% operating margin. That's down from 30 a few years ago. That's because of, you know, uh, New England coming in there. But uh, th these things have always been very high margin. It's a paper business. Everyone's moving away from paper. If you have a franchise and you can migrate your customers to a platform that's Internet-based or even computer-based, uh, you know, that's going to eliminate your paper costs. And so with, you know, margins in the low 20s, the potential for paper costs to slowly dissipate, five times cash flow that's well covered, 20% ROI, uh, this thing might be a little bit like a call option. And while you're waiting, you get a 7% yield. So, uh, and it might be, I should point out, it's Friday. We're looking at prices printed in value line from who knows what this is from, Thursday or Wednesday. So this is apt to be lower right now, given the tone of the market. So you might have a 7% plus yield. Deluxe check, DLX. Check it out, everybody. Sorry about that. Anyway, then I'm moving along here. In publishing, there's a great franchise here. It's called a little company called Reader's Digest. So first of all, if you can find anyone who hasn't heard of Reader's Digest, 
you know, I'll send you a buck. Send me an email. That means I never went to the bathroom at Grandma's house. Well, uh, you know, so you go ask an advertising guy, how much does it cost for everyone in the world who have heard of me? Well, you know, the present value of the cost to build a brand and be knowable is about, and I've run this by some CEOs of advertising firms, is about a billion dollars, okay? The market cap of this company is $1.3 billion. So even if they just had a brand and nothing else, uh, I've got some serious ad people, senior guys, telling me that that may be worth a billion dollars just in and of itself. Now, Reader's Digest is uh, the biggest magazine in the world. They have 21 million Reader's Digest magazines going around the world. Uh, you know, about uh, 10 million of those I know are in the U.S. The rest are international, of which their biggest markets are, you know, Canada, which I th always think is cheating when you talk about international. But then England, and they're well diversified all through. Uh, that's why when people say North America, they leave Mexico out. <laughs> yeah, hey, what's that all about? Well, I guess it's. I don't. I don't even want to say anything about that. But uh, in any case, a Reader's Digest. You know, their cash flow is a buck thirty. The stock's at thirteen seventy or lower, maybe today. That's ten times. Yield is three percent. The cash flow covers the dividend. It's. $0.40 cent dividend. Uh, their earnings are running around $0.80. Cents. It's trading at a discount to the market. Now, again, the problem with this one is a lot of debt. Their returns on capital are not as high as Deluxe. They're 11 12 Cost of debt for them is 7 8 They've still got a positive spread. Uh, I think the company's cleaning itself up over time for sale. They've eliminated a dual class of stock. Uh, they're improving the balance sheet. They're buying shares back every year. The stock's down because the street doesn't like the fact that their circulation is flattish for many years. But, uh, you know, these guys at one time were viewed as about the best direct marketers in the country. And so when they take their circulation down, it's often because those last few million subscribers were unprofitable when you take into account how much it costs to acquire those subscribers. So they're very good at the science of direct marketing. Uh, and I think going forward, they've got some very interesting initiatives. First, they're among the first book companies to be really doing direct marketing into Eastern Europe, India, and China. Those are all huge opportunities. Eastern Europeans want to build a bookshelf of the 100 greatest novels ever written. They never had a chance to own these books. Now they do. Reader's Digest is among the first in the world to have growing mailing lists of people with money in Eastern Europe, and that's a very rare commodity. They've got it, and they're trying to slowly build that market. Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, all these nations uh, want books, and Reader's Digest is in there. You know, you think of the little green-backed condensed book version. I mean, that's what they want. India, uh, same thing. Economics are leading to more wealth. They want books. And uh, they're having some great initial success with this. They're also launching uh, some things in the U.S. Rachel Ray uh, magazine, uh, Rachel Ray uh, Living, what have you, is theirs, right. etc. Going on and on. They've got some things going. A Ten times cash flow. Uh, it's uh, debt's a little bit heavy, but Reader's Digest. It's three percent yield. Uh, buy it. Okay. Moving along, publishing brands that can withstand this, you know, dangerous and scary transition from paper to the internet. Uh, New York Times, rated four. New York Times, again, who cannot find someone who doesn't know about the New York Times? I'm what, a subscriber. Well, uh, New York, if you've just even heard of New York, you're halfway to understanding who they are. What New is, York Times is probably... What was, what was Old York? That's in uh, England. England. Hmm. Wow. Anyway. A lot of old stuff there. Got a lot to talk about today. New York Times is one of the preeminent news authorities in the world. 
And one of the risks to newspapers in the country, anyway, is that you know the Kansas City Gazette can't compete in a world where their viewer is one click from the New York Times. Well, if you're the New York Times and you're one click away from the New York Times, that's great. And what they're doing is they're migrating people to the Internet. They're figuring out that people who love great journalism and reporting and political opinion and culture and you know, entertainment, et cetera. If you want a snapshot of the United States culture, news, politics, you got to get the New York Times. That's all going to migrate to online. And when it does, their cost structure is going to get amazingly better. You know, th- th- here's the thing. Instead of putting a bunch of newspapers on trucks, well, first, building paper in big plants, uh, bundling it up into into big piles, putting it on trucks. the ink comes in big vans. Yeah, big ink, all on the trucks. The trucks get gas. They drive through all the boroughs of the world, etc. Or you could just hit F10. I mean, it seems insane that, you know, 10 years from now, uh, three-quarters of their, you know, readers or, uh, you know, customers won't be online and they'll get rid of their trucking costs, paper costs, distribution costs. What they're selling is knowledge. They're very good at it. It's selling at, uh, you know, 10 times cash flow. Now, they have a pretty decent balance sheet, 35 cent to, 35% at the capital. Their margins run in the upper teens, and that's with all the paper costs that I predict are going to go away over time. They run a return on capital. Uh, they've been running in the mid-teens. They're down in the low teens right now, 10, 11, because they made a big acquisition of a little company called About.com. New York Times is moving aggressively onto the web. They've probably already doubled or tripled their investment in that in terms of the, the, the earnings, uh, or rather the, the improvement in value since they bought it. It's one of the top five destinations on the web. And just as an aside with these publishers, people aren't reading newspapers. They're moving away from that. They're moving on to the Internet. Advertising is, uh, you know, under siege in newspapers, magazines, television, radio. You know, take a clue, everybody. What's happening is advertisers want to measure the impact of advertising. And on the Internet, I can give you a list of where your $5 million went in terms of Mrs. Smith clicking on your site, Joey, you know, Blues clicking on your site. I mean, so they want that information. They can weave that information into their whole presentation is, is a marketing effort. So it, it's no surprise to me that these guys are losing share uh, to the medium that can measure not only measure the impact of advertising, but it's also a low-cost distribution center. So I just think it's inevitable. New York Times is going to hold up. Kansas City Gazette may not. And, uh, you know, they don't like it here. I would just take a look at this. It's, it's down from levels of even five years ago, even though revenues are up, uh, earnings are uh, well, off their peaks, but uh, flat with 01. But this is a world brand. The world's getting smarter and richer, wants to get smarter and even more rich. New York Times will help them do that. Um, I compared them. Like a long-term buy to me. Uh, well, that's, what I, that's all I do. I'm not a trader. Yeah. Own this, put it away. Fair. Unless you're 70, then don't do that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's, that's. I wonder how we're doing in the 70-plus demographic. I don't know. I don't know. If you're over 70, send us an email. Send us an We're email interested. so we'll know. Anyway, just so you know, I contrasted this with Tribune. And uh, just to make a long story short, New York Times is better. Tribune has a lot of uh, middle America newspaper exposure. they got a lot of TV stations. And I'll say in a world of news brands, KLS Channel 5 doesn't hold up if you can click on Washington Post, New York Times, L.A. Times, etc. 
And so I worry about the franchises of local televisions more than I do about the, the New York Times. So I pass on trivia. Finally, a another one I just want to spend a moment on because I'm going on a little over here. Mattel, M-A-T, great franchise. You're fine. Am I? Yeah. All right, well, let me take a beverage break I then. an early beverage yeah. break. Great. Mm. That's delicious. Mattel, M-A-T. That's Matt. Buy it. No, let me go on. All right. Uh, 14 times earnings. Great franchise, as you know. And, you know, the rub on the stock is that Barbie's going away. Um, you know, these guys used to sell a little game called Lie Detector. You know what? That went away. You know? They have other stuff, everybody. Barbie has been slowly moving down. It's now less than 50% of I earnings. Ken's back. Didn't I no, read recently that uh, they brought Ken back? Well, Ken, she broke away. up with he Ken. some time alone. I think he went to Australia for a little back. while, turned gay, and now he's back. But <laughs> no, I, I think no, she's dating somebody else. Anyway, let me just, Barbie is, the street doesn't like the, the reliance on Barbie. Barbie's now less than half the business. It continues to decline. They're, they're comfortably building other girl brands along other, among, uh, around other images and dolls. They're effectively uh, competing with the Bratz onslaught, which, uh, you know, everybody's worried about. That's old news. And they've got some other things you might have heard about. Uh, Fisher-Price, they own it. American Girls, they own it. Polly Pockets, they own it. Hot Wheels, they own it. You know what? I think someone actually should call the Justice Department because they own Hot Wheels and they also own Matchbox, okay? I mean, where where's the government? They own, uh, what else do they have here? Sesame Street, Barney, Viewmaster, uh, you know, the, the, the Tyco Toys, which made a lot of electron, you know, the uh, wireless toys. They have a lot of franchises, and uh, they have a... Uh, like the stock. Well, the stock, my point is, it's a very stable cash flow. Okay. Uh, the street doesn't like it because Barbie's disappearing, and I'm saying that doesn't matter. They're earning a 20% return on capital on the other stuff. American Girls is poised for, uh, you know, a rollout. Uh, this Fisher Price is growing at uh, low teens a year. The brand is international. So, again, it's one of these things where they're already paying for expensive plastic and they've already taken the hit from the dollar if the dollar's turning the other way and i don't predict the dollar they're going to benefit a bit from that half their business is international uh and more importantly as the baby boom becomes grandparents they're going to gravitate toward these brands for gifts uh unlike their competitor hasbro which is also worth looking at it's also 10 times cash flow hasbro is dependent on uh you know more hits out of movie uh you know uh, licenses and, and things like that, and so I'd say that's not as a valuable stream when it's got the volatility. These guys have some strong franchises. No one's taking them away. The fear about Barbie is sort of misplaced and just gives Barbie a lot of publicity. I think Barbie's coming out with some movies and some TV shows and a clothesline. Barbie's fine, but they've got these other things coming along, and you get all that for 10 times earnings, 14, uh, 10 times cash flow, 14 times earnings, 3.4% yield. That's on page 1854. And then I've got one final one. It's kind of a... This is interesting, kind of a one-off. It's a one-off. I don't know much about it, but it's uh, called SciTech, uh, C-Y-T, rated 4. Uh, this was a spin-out from... Uh, it's it's in their chemical area. It's a spin-out, I think, from American Cyanamid. Diversified uh, Chemicals. Yeah, they have... Uh, their, their biggest business is Surface Specialties, is 46% of revenues. This is coatings and resins, uh, and typically those sorts of areas, which are a small uh, price component to a whole job or a whole project, have a lot of price 
flexibility. If you have something that costs a buck and you need eight cents of paint and that guy wants to raise the paint price to ten cents, you just go along. We've got a lot of advertising and publicity about inflation. These guys have been eating some raw material cost increases and not passing them along. Now inflation is sort of out there, so it's going to be much easier to get price increases. It's the time of the cycle when you can do that as all these oil prices and all move through the system. Everybody understands that. So I think they're going to have a lot of leverage for margin the next couple years. Uh, the thing that attracts me is it's eight times cash flow, and when you subtract out capital spending, it's 11 times free cash flow, and it seems like exactly the port, part of the cycle where they could crank up their returns. They're right now at around 7-8% return on capital, but in past cycles at peaks, they get quite a bit higher. I think some of that pricing power is going to roll in. They're trading at a discount to the S&P right now, and uh, balance sheet's in decent shape, so I throw that out, CYT. That's SciTech Industries. And with that, thanks for listening. This has been Val Hughes, and I'm now going to uh, turn the uh, podium uh, over to Vern Value. Vern Value! Vern Value! Vern. Ouch. Um, it was the recreation industry, I promised everybody, and that's what we're going to look at. And uh, just briefly out of their, uh, their industry coverage of this, one of the things, we've talked about this sometimes in the past, their relative strength index for the industry as they've got it composed anyway is down as best I can tell something like 40% relative since maybe the beginning of 2003 so that catches my attention you know a poor performer for a long period of time people still like recreation I know that I mean I also found uh, it's a very curious thing and I'll come back to this in a little bit but there's this odd comment that the problems encountered by competitor Six Flags this is in the amusement park area should work to Cedar Fair's advantage in the months ahead, but they don't explain what Six Flags' problems are. So I don't know. I'm going to look at that in a minute. But first we're going to look at Disney because it's one rated by Value Line. The first thing we try to see is whether we think Value Line's got it right. And i got to tell you, I think they're dead on this time. Uh, matter of fact, they just raised their uh, opinion to one. This is a $66 billion content provider for the digital age. I mean, come on. Disney. Disney, parentheses, Walt, Walt and yeah. parentheses. I mm. like, don't buy Roy by accident. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Simple's DIS, it's on page 1864. Trading at about a market multiple, the stock's around 30 bucks. It's kind of been, it's bumping up against highs from the last several years. You know, Disney's been a controversial stock for a long time. A lot of issues, uh, not just in operating management, but also, uh, also in the boardroom and ownership structure and, uh, scandal, and I really was in a lot of trouble. Uh, and the stock, I guess, bottomed at least in on you know, current shares in uh, looks like about around fourteen dollars. Uh, traded in the forties well, in the two thousand. Negative attendance for several years. Um, so tough business, but I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at operating margins in two thousand two and three that were in a thirteen fourteen range. Now back up to eighteen. Value lines predicting back to nineteen. Uh, return on capital looks like it's uh, not only has it gotten back to past highs, but uh, is setting new highs. Uh, Disney, for those of you who don't know uh, anything besides Mickey Mouse or Disney World, uh, maybe you want to recognize uh, these names: ABC, ESPN. Um, you know, ABC, the network, the television, that's right. not the first three letters Media of the networks. alphabet. They don't own that. Forty percent of uh, of their revenue last year. The theme parks. Uh, and uh, parks and resorts and a cruise line related to that, 
28%. Um, filmed entertainment books, et cetera, 24%. So a quarter of the company, just pure content. Um, and they just uh, bought Pixar, uh, a crucial deal, I think, for a lot of people. The stocks responded well to that. It is I up so far company. this year. Uh, according to Value Line, they say uh, numbers have gotten a lot better at ABC as well recently on the back of Lost and Desperate Housewives. You might watch those all the time. I've, uh, I, I haven't seen very many of those episodes. But uh, ESPN's got some kind of quirky thing going on in the revenue comparisons that gives you a kind of a jolt in, uh, in top-line growth. I mean, they're doing something like uh, you know 10% or so on the top line. Isn't ESPN like the most valuable franchise in all of cable? Uh, but now we're going to get to you know my thesis here, and the reason that I think the recreation uh, industry makes a lot of sense right now, if you can find the right stock, is because of the uh, uh, because of the theme park business, and this is I'm going to basically take the contrarian view. I'd say conventional wisdom is that uh, with gas prices through the roof, people aren't going to want to travel, go away for uh, vacation. Uh, so you know, Disney and, and other uh, theme park operators or uh, amusement park operators are going to take it on the chin. Uh, I think that's wrong. Really? Uh, yeah, because one of the issues is that the dollar is incredibly weak as well. So you've got a lot of people that would be traveling overseas. Uh, in fact, the dollar's been weakening. It's gotten worse. Uh, a lot of people that might travel overseas are going to be staying home now. Well, uh, people overseas that didn't come to the U.S. the last few years will come now. The other thing that uh, you know, Value Line points out is that high gas prices, as they say it, are not likely to deter consumers' vacation spending to a significant degree. I'd agree with that. I mean, if you're planning on driving to Disney World for the summer, you got the kids all excited about it, are you not going to do it because it's going to cost you an extra $30 in gas round trip? Yeah, no, you're going to I mean, it. give me a break. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're thinking about going to Europe with your family of four and you might be looking at spending $5,000, how do you feel about spending six or more? Um so I, you know, and when you go to a theme park, if you go to the right place, especially a Disney kind of facility, you can actually turn that into most of a vacation and not do any driving. Uh, get there, sure, that has some cost, but uh, rather than touring, rather than driving across the great southwest of our fabulous nation, maybe just go park yourself down at Disney World. So um, the execution looks better here. Um, and uh, it really, at a market multiple, given, given what we're talking about here, Disney, uh, uh, it's remarkable that you can buy it on the mend at that kind of evaluation. Now, well, the, I just want to point out on Disney, because I'm a yeah, huge fan as well, okay. uh, is that this Pixar thing is so critical. The reason is, is that if you think of the Disney franchise as characters that you can build future movies, theme parks, uh, rides, you know, the head of Pixar is now the head of Disney Animation and Disney Theme Park Rides, I think. So we're going to be seeing a big insurgence of new energy and talent into not only the movie business for Disney, but their theme parks, and they have quite a few of them around. Um, and in addition to that, if you have kids, you've heard of Buzz Lightyear and Woody and that whole cast of characters. I mean, Pixar has created some tremendous Aren't they modern so? characters and Disney was in sore need of that and so this will fuel Disney for Isn't 50 Disney years. Bu building a theme park in China right now? Yes. Um, this is uh, this is a great opportunity I think. You know both right now in terms of just what the pure valuation of the stock is but longer term as well because uh, uh, there's too much, there's too much uh, franchise value here for you not to get uh, a surge in value for that at some point, and then market multiple is not that. Uh, I, interesting to contrast it, I thought, with 
DreamWorks animation. Value Line doesn't rate it. I mean, it's a pretty much a brand new stock. This is instead of 66 billion market cap, it's 3 billion market cap. PE's 36. You know, cash flow per share, it's hard to tell. Depending on which numbers I want to look at in Value Line's forecast, it might be 20 times cash flow, it might be 50 times cash flow, hard to say. Um, I, you know, not clear uh, uh, how uh, successful we expect the company to be uh, because they did uh, a billion in revenue in 2004, and the highest number Value Line's got since then is in their, uh, you know, their out year column, and it's 900 million. So I guess we don't expect them to be as successful as they were in that one grand year any time in the foreseeable future. Was that a Shrek year? Uh, must have been. Uh, Shrek 2? For those of you, unless you don't know who this is, this is uh, this is the company that uh, um, distributes, they develop, produce, and distribute computer-generated animation films. Okay, so they're... And it's the former Disney president, Right, and, it, and it's the com they're the competitor to Pixar, basically. Yeah. Uh, and they've struggled, really, to uh, put together the same kind of success that they had when they were at Disney. Um you know, this is the guy who was behind things like Little Mermaid, etc. Right. Yeah, Lion uh, King. Right, right, right. But uh, according to Value Line here, it does say that they uh, had better than the expected results in the first quarter. But then they go on to say that uh, this year, uh, the only significant drew, uh, new driver of earnings is a uh, movie that's coming out shortly called Over the Hedge, uh, which I think is hilarious. Basically, the the entire investment here, the entire future of the stock over the near next maybe 12 months hinges on whether this one movie is a success or not. Um, you know, as Value Line says, I kind of wonder if it's tongue-in-cheek. The unpredictable nature of revenue recognition policies increases quarter-to-quarter -quarter earnings volatility because then on top of that, they have this unusual practice of not recognizing, re recognizing any revenue on a product mm -hmm. until all of its distribution has um, recovered their upfront distribution and marketing costs. So good. I mean, the movie could be out for a long time. You have no idea whether it's going to work here or not. Uh, good luck, uh, DreamWorks. I, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting. The market capitalization three billion sixty six at Disney. Market cap is one twenty second of the size of Disney. Uh, the revenue is one one hundredth of the size of Disney. Well, part of that's obviously uh, an option that they'll have. Success. Unless this movie works, now I got to tell you, I think the movie's going to work. I mean, have you seen the previews for this thing? It looks terrific. Well, what you and I think. Sometimes uh, but that but that gets off of my my thesis really was uh, theme parks right and how I think they'll benefit this year. Um, there's also apparently a weather issue. I found it described in a couple places as Value Line talked about these companies. So clearly there must have been some period of last year where attendance was uh, artificially depressed. Um, Six Flags maybe there's a name I know. Oh, uh, the symbol here is PKS I guess parks. Uh, but the stock's up a lot recently. I see they have new management, it says. Um, I'm kind of struck by the financial leverage here. They have $2.3 billion of debt, and annual revenue is about half that, at $1.1 billion, $1.2. So I'm thinking it might take them a while to pay that down. Uh, you know, the new management is Daniel Snyder, the owner of the uh, Washington Redskins. My guess is this might be a good short, but um, certainly uh, – Sir, they had, this company hasn't made money since 1998 because of this crushing debt load. Uh, but on the other hand, there's another business called Cedar Fair. Value Line likes this one even le less, uh, uh, for rating. Cedar Fair, Master Limited Partnership, okay? So uh, basically an income vehicle uh, managed by a company that operates seven theme parks. Now, if you think that gas prices being high might make the average American want to stay closer to home 
well, how about a theme park in Ohio or in Minnesota or Pennsylvania or Missouri, which is where four of the seven are located? They've got a reputation. They also have something. The best coaster park in America. What is this? Michigan's Adventure Amusement Park. So there's another Midwestern state. Um, you know, if people aren't going to go anywhere, here's where they'll go, and they're not going out of the country. So, um, you know, what, what about the stock? I've got a 7% yield here. Um, it's uh, priced at about a 25% discount to the market. The, the stock chart here is a picture of stability, okay? Uh, stable dividend, I think. Uh, but interesting, even though the chart looks sort of flat, there's like a 30 to 40% range in the stock price every year. And the stock at 27.44 is at a low so far this year. And the range last year and the year before was somewhere in the mid-20s up to the mid-30s. So we just, I guess, need to be having a good year, and it trades in the mid-30s. And if we're having a bad year or we don't know, it trades in the mid-20s. Well, do we think they're going to have a good year? Well, guess what? They've just spent $58 million in a capital spending program adding rides and attractions at many of its theme and water parks. And Value Line goes along with this uh, long list of all these additions they've made, including the world's highest swing ride at Cedar Point in Ohio. Um, they're looking for healthy earnings gains this year. Seems to me uh, in an environment where I think you can get an upside surprise to expectations, this is a, I mean, buy it for the trade. I, you don't have to own it forever. I, you know, the dividend, I, what's not to like? But, um, you know, buy it at, uh, buy it in the mid-20s, sell it in the mid-30s, and uh, go home. One thing about those master limited partnerships, yeah. I think they are required to uh, pay out a certain percentage of their income every year, which explains the yield. And it allows them to keep a high return on capital, even though they don't necessarily grow that fast because they're always paying out a big chunk Well, guess what? Return on capital is coming off of like 11% levels. Value Line says this year they think it'll be 12 and a half, mm-hmm. headed back to the mid-teens, which is what they sustained for four years in a row in the late 90s mm-hmm. in a healthy economic environment. Right. So you got you covered, That's baby. Um, you know, in, in the theme of content in the digital age, um, Maybe not so digital. Maybe they're trying. Uh, I, you know, we always like to look at the fives. Uh, I've got one here. This is risky, but it's definitely content. Westwood One, less than a billion dollar market cap. The symbol's W-O-N. One, no, they haven't won anything. <laughs> the stock, no, since the beginning of uh, Ooh, 05. That's a, that's a scary looking The stock's thing. down by two-thirds. You know, it's like Sky. Ouch. Sky. They should call change the name of the company to Black Diamond Content or something. Uh, looks like it's down 35 or 40% this year. Um, so now the yield's up to 4.4%. Um, there's, there's $400 million of debt. Um, but I'm looking at about $30 million in debt service. Uh, I'm going to get to that. I got about thirty million in debt service. I got about a thirty million dollar dividend that we want them to keep paying us. Got about a hundred million dollars of operating income. So I think it all hangs together. The stock, of course, reflecting something terrible. Why? Well, Westwood One provides information services and programming to radio and TV stations. And folks, I don't know if you're paying any attention, but there's something that's come along called satellite radio. And it uh, it seems to have had a slightly negative impact on advertising rates and revenue for conventional radio stations. iPod, satellite. Um, Now, Westwood One is the largest provider of traffic services. um, And they have the largest radio network in the U.S. We'll we'll ignore that for a second. But uh, 
uh, they do create product, bundle it up, and distribute it. Um, the stock has been down, it's, you know, off huge, um, yet they earn operating margins in the 20s. Uh, what are, what's the bad news? Weak advertising demand. Their operating expenses are up because of oh, $7 million of temporary Olympics spending. They've got some cost pressures because of personnel changes. That's temporary as well. Uh, they, they have been, are they going to be spending to expand distribution of uh, Metro into digital platforms? Well, folks, that's good. Um, and uh, they're making a lot of programming investments, it says, as they try to uh, migrate people to high-def radio and uh, onto the Internet. So a lot of stuff going on here. Believe me, I don't have a, a, a great deal of insight here, but at these kind of price levels, uh, this thing is off huge. There's going to be uh, value recognition here at some point. Somebody will buy them, if nothing else. Um, well, all their content works in these new venues. You don't, you know, if you can push a button and have a... Uh, you know, a 30-second, you know, piece on traffic, that can go anywhere. That and can that, go on satellite radio, can go on the podcast, can go uh, it uh, wherever come, it needs it, to go. Well, it come right in on wireless to uh, the small PC that you have mounted in the, um, in the dash of your or car. Whatever you want it. It's all, uh, it's, it's all good. We just got to get through this radio. I, we, we, I wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't down. It's down and, a whole I mean, it, lot. It's a $9 dollar stock. That they say will be able to sustain fifty cents in earnings and about a dollar in we cash flow. We look at this in the office. It's down. It's down, down, down. Yeah. Uh, well, it's going down. It doesn't look like they're going out of business. So, I but more interesting and more affirmative. Uh, let's talk about my last name today. Harley Davidson symbol HDI. Page eighteen forty eight. Thirteen and a half billion dollar market cap motorcycle manufacturer. Did you realize they were that? I, I had no idea they were that big. Um, the, the stock's around 50 bucks. Well, look at that chart. They didn't used to be that big. It has traded north of 60 in the last couple of years. This used to be one hot growth stock. Uh, f sported some pretty fancy uh, multiples. Kind of interesting now. The P.E. is 13.5, and, and I'm looking at value lines, uh, average annual P.E. ratio. Uh, every one of them is higher than that number all the way back to 1990. A lot's changed. So, like ever, we owned this in the late '80s. I, like ever, okay. It was great. Uh, it's a thirty percent discount to the market. There is a dividend. It's growing top line ten percent. It's ten times cash flow. Uh, they've got uh, a reasonable capital structure. Twenty four percent is debt. Um, I'm looking at big uh, quarterly sales gains forecast by value line. Uh, what do I see here? General merchandise revenue is running up 15%. Why is the stock not performing? Well, it turns out after the uh, first quarter uh, that apparently was okay, they uh, they announced that they were going to shift some of their seasonal production around. Didn't change their full year production target, uh, but meant there would be very little growth in the second quarter. Uh, everybody freaks because in the old days when it was a 30 PE stock, something like that would take it down five points. It's a 15 PE stock, folks. Come on. Uh, a few motorcycles in August instead of June. Give me a break. Well, you do have some negatives here. you uh, got demographics. Uh, uh, oh, go demographics are on your side. On it's your a side. big boomer Negative. product. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, the company's rate of production growth. This is according to Value Line, and, you know, where the analysts wouldn't make this up. The company's rate of production growth has been less than the sell-through rate over the past several quarters. In other words, they've been bleeding inventory out of their distribution channel. So Value Line says they have favorable supply and demand fundamentals. That, uh, yeah. Um, consumer confidence reached its highest level recently. Now, that's not right. 
okay? The, I'd say the stock is showing uh, the concern that people have about consumer spending, the outlook in the second half of this year. But, folks, this is Harley Davidson. Right now, you can but buy. It's not anymore. You can buy motorcycles, and you can buy jackets, and some limited kind of merchandise like that that's closely related to the motorcycle experience. These guys, you but know, but they have a brand that has a value recognition yeah, like Coke and well, Mercedes Benz. But their average age of customer keeps rising, and on the low end, the young guys, you know, there's no Marlon Brando in a movie anymore. So, uh, you know, what's happening is all these Japanese bike makers have learned how to make cool-looking hot are, bikes like Harley, right. and their market share is not. Doing Doing what it was, their bikes were not competitively priced versus the Japanese bikes. So now you have bikes from Japan that look like Harleys. They're cheaper. I don't know. Well, and you, also you know what I think. You know what I think. I think if you're in China, and uh, and where uh, you know motorcycles and other motorized bicycles are very very popular, uh, and everybody has. Uh, the cheapest, state-of-the-art, uh, almost identically looking, made by any of dozens of different local Chinese manufacturers' bikes, and you can have a Harley Davidson. The price won't be, won't. It's well, if the it's brand. a China story, maybe, maybe you got some. There, it, you know, Value Line talks about how they're just not abroad. Less than twenty percent of sales. Value Line says they're looking at Europe. They should be looking at Asia. I'm telling you, um, another iconic brand. Disney, our best idea this week, but we like the Cedar Fair idea, the theme park play a lot as well. When you say we, you mean I'm sorry, it's the Wall Street we, you know, it's like the Royal Uh, Way, you know. It's me and I and uh, and the reflection of myself. This is Val, and uh, Val is looking at the New York Times, my best idea for the week, followed up by a little bit of a gamier one, but... uh, Deluxe? No, I don't know. Mattel is a sure thing. Deluxe gamey. Maybe chip, maybe, maybe weighed in. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That's so, all I got. Anyway, this is this week's edition of the uh, Value Line Observer. We reviewed the Value Line Investment Survey from today, May 19th, and uh, we're glad you were with us, and uh, uh, be careful out there.